Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my former co-host, Eric Trexler, who's now Senior Vice President of U.S. Public Sector at Palo Alto Networks. Eric, welcome back. I'm ready to tear up with that introduction, Rachel. I know, I know. I really missed the show and you and and the <laughs> former hurt. I know, we miss you too. It's, um, you're welcome anytime, of course. You know, Petco and I love having you on and I'm sad that Petco couldn't make it this time. He's on vacation, but I think we're going to have a, a nice little little chat, kind of a little walk down memory lane and, you know, all the good things. And you had some amazing <laughs> shows. I, I listened to the one most recently, actually, I guess it was a little while ago with Maria Rode. I've listened to a few oh, since then. she was wonderful. Yes. It was a phenomenal interview. I was yes. so envious that I wasn't there for that show. Yeah. Maria's yeah. great. And, and just the, the, the human component Yes. That that she brought you 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 pulled out of her. That was a great, great interview. I really enjoyed having her on. I would love to have her back. And we've been talking about that because there's just so much to dig into to uh, with her career and you know, just so many great discussions still to be had. Um you know, yeah, that but was, that was a good one. If we're I think, you know, now that we're kind of at the end of 22, going into 2023, there's just so much on people's minds, Eric. And I think this kind of looming recession thing, right, is is kind of having people, you know, thinking about, you know, what is it going to happen? How long is it going to last? And, and for those in the industry, you know, it, you hear a lot of talk about cyber is a very resilient industry, um, but for the companies that are facing recession and, you know, security with, um, you know, skills gaps, right, talent shortages and having to make the most with um, less, I mean, there's there's a lot for them to have to think through how they navigate ahead, Eric. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I've been following, we've talked about it a ton together on the show mm-hmm was the workforce and how many people are available. I think there's still over 500,000 jobs in America alone. I, ISC Squared did a report. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was like, what, what was it? 4.7, no, it was 4.7 million jobs out there, shortage mm-hmm. of 3.4 million today. So I, I don't think any coming economic downturn, whether it's a formal yeah. recession or not, is going to break cybersecurity's workforce challenges or, or address them, fix them, maybe is the better way to look at it. I think it's going to be a real problem for a long time. And I think it's something yeah. we really need to look at because as, as, ad, as uh, you know, the economy turns, I think we will see more adversarial activity turn to mechanisms to, you know, more easily pull cash out of, out of free economies. I, mean, I think you uh, yeah. you've been talking for years, a couple of years now, about the loss of 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 uh, the the risk and the and the downside and the loss being the third largest economy in the world behind the U.S. and China, 
right? What was it? Three and a half trillion dollars, I think, is your data stat? Uh, currently. And then I think in the next few years, it'll be something like, you know, seven or 10. I mean, it, it's astounding how fast it's going to grow. Um, yeah, those are the losses. Yeah. That's, yeah, straight up cost and losses. Yeah. Um, and I was reading this article in VentureBeat. I love VentureBeat. Quick shout out. Um, but during the last recession, uh, the FBI reported there was an increase, like a 22% increase in online crime between 2008 and 2009. And as as we look, as we know, right, cyber criminals love to take advantage of, you know, kind of crises or, or moments in times. And so there's a lot of likely incentive, incentive, incentivation, <laughs> incentivization. Yeah. Easy for me to say. No, they're incentivized. Uh, the exactly. adversary is incentivized. Exactly. And if you can't find a job, I mean, the, 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 the crazy part of cyber is if you can't find a job where you live, you can get on your computer, you can go to the library's computer or an internet cafe and you can reach into somebody else's town or village or company yeah. and monetize some assets. And, and you know, I think we're seeing that with the increase in ransomware. I think uh, I, th I think it would be foolish to, su to suggest that ransomware will decline at some point in the foreseeable future. So, right. you know, we're going to see, we're going to continue to see bad people try to monetize. And, and that's the sad part of the industry. Yeah. And we don't have enough people, as we've said on the show for, Years. Years. I know. I think it's, of the show, what's the show on the fifth year? I think it's been five yes, years. And, yes. and obviously the problem began before the show started, but, but yeah, we don't have enough people. At, at all. And you know, I'm, you know, ransomware is one of my favorite topics. And um, I, I was looking at, um, you know, some, some stats before we got on the call and uh, Kaspersky reported that, um, Targeted ransomware attacks almost doubled in the first 10 months of this year compared with the same period of 21. And I keep reading, and now that you're in the U.S. public sector and, uh, right. and state and local, I I'm curious why the schools, I mean, so many like school after school after school are getting hit with these attacks. Is it just because they're easy pickings and they're going to pay? And just Yeah, they're easy and why not? Yeah. Why not? So, so. So we have a group, and I, I promise not to make this a sales play, but we have a a, um, a team called Unit 42 that does a lot of incident response. Think mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, you, there, there are a lot of organizations out there. They're like them. They're very good at what they do from what I've seen, though. And 70% of our incident response cases over the last year, I, I pulled some data because I knew I was talking to you about this, have been ransomware and, and business email compromise. Wow. Right, so phishing and the like, and and we're seeing a massive upswing on things like like smishing, SMS phishing. Oh, oh, yes. Right, we're seeing a lot. So seventy percent, though, of the work that we're doing on an IR case tends to be around ransomware and 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 email compromise, business email compromise, and and the other thing when we're getting called in, it's usually after the fact. Right, right. the victim has received the ransom note, their their files have been encrypted, they've had problems and, and we're trying to to help them. I, I don't think that's abnormal in the space, right? I think I think that's across the the industry. That's what's happening when an IR firm is come brought in. It's because somebody had an issue, not because they were trying to be preventative. Now we do see a little preventative, but it's it's crazy. The other thing, and this is just our data. 
So your mm -hmm. mileage may vary. If you look at somebody else, their data may vary. Right. We're seeing an average of 28 days of dwell time, loitering time. I'm walking around your house, Rachel, looking for your jewelry and your money and everything else for 28 days. That's crazy. Before you notice and call me. I mean, how crazy is that? If you run a business, you don't know the adversary is there for 28 days, then you know. It's yeah. crazy. It's, I guess it, it, it does kind of gel though, right? When we look at the targeting, we're seeing more and more of, you know, kind of the schools, yes, but also- I was reading some article, just like small businesses. They're, you know, they're almost like some of them are like feeder companies into larger, larger organizations. And mm. um, because they don't have, right, the staff or let's say a more sophisticated security setup, because like, why would anybody hit them? Uh, you know, you're starting to see kind of an increased attacks on them. And again, I was reading this really interesting article and talking about prevention. Like as you look at kind of... The recession, fewer resources, all those things, you know, doubling down on preventative measures. You know, how do you how do you keep them out? You know, yeah, so I've been doing I, I've been doing a lot of thinking over the last year, maybe, maybe a little longer. You know, it, from from my perspective, it used to be automation. We need to drive to yes. automation. If you, if you turn to the industry, if you go to RSA, guarantee this year you'll see it again. It's machine learning and whatever your definition of yep. artificial intelligence is, right? MI, mm -hmm. MLAI, you'll, you'll see it. We've talked about it on the show over and over and over again. Yes. And it's really bothered me. You and I have had personal conversations about this. We talked about it on the show. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I think if you want to stick to AI and machine learning, I, mm -hmm. I think it's got to be a people first approach. Right. Complemented by process, by technology. Yep. But I think, and then and then complemented by by workforce improvements, both yes. both of your your employees, but also your cyber defenders. But I think there's another component that I've spent a lot of time on lately, and it's it's more than just automating. Right. What I've observed, and 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 really the, the covering of the state and local and education space has has really opened my eyes, because the feds just throw money at the problem. Right. We have too many tools, right? We have so many tools out there. Depending on your survey, you'll see surveys that say companies have an average of 45 cybersecurity tools, right. 76 cybersecurity tools, over 100. I've had conversations with others in the industry at major, major companies. Um, I've talked to Petco about it. If, if you have more than 10, 15 tools, you're, you're basically a cybersecurity integrator. And I think the complexity of the environment is something that yeah. is really, really harming us on our largest organizations. We've got to drive to simplicity. This isn't a, hey, go buy company X or anything right. like that. It's, it's really, you've got to consolidate your tools. You've got to look at outcomes. We've talked about mm -hmm. that for years. Yeah. It's rare that you see customers talking outcomes. Right. They tend to talk about tools. RFQs, RFPs, yeah. RFXs, whatever it may be. They come out looking for CASB right. or, you know, a software web gateway, or now we get Zero Trust, which is all over the map. Right. But rarely do you see things come out saying, I want this business outcome. It's interesting, and right? So it's, it's like crazy. treating the it's like treating the symptoms, but not the underlying problem in a way, ish. 
it's, I, I, I think, so, so I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking again and I'm not there yet, but I think it really yeah. comes down to incentives as mm -hmm. most things in this world do. Right. What is the incentive of the endpoint team to right. work closely with the network team? As, as things come Great, together, yeah. what is the incentive of somebody who's built a career on, well, let's pick on firewalls for a minute, for a minute right? Right. They've built a career on network security and the firewalls to, to go and talk to their peer across the lane right. in the SOC or on the endpoint and say, hey, we, we've got a problem here, yeah. right? We're no longer defending the organization in the way we intended. It's not working. Let's find a better way of doing this. Right. So, so SOC automation and things like that are, are great talking points, and I think we'll get there. But we've got to see some walls come down, and we haven't seen that right. yet in the business. Now, I told you I've, I've learned some things over the last couple months. And, and, yes. and really from a visibility perspective, one of the things I've learned is state, local, and education customers don't have as much money as the federal government typically. No, they have having, fewer tools. Yeah, having worked at a, at the city of Houston, I can I can one hundred percent attest <laughs> to that. Uh, they have yeah. fewer tools. We were dealing with a customer a couple of weeks ago, a small, uh, you know, a mid market customer. They had a firewall, and the the same it's a it's a it's a town government. Mm -hmm. And and the school system had a firewall and they were looking at using those firewalls together for failover, you know, high availability, active, active right. failover, which is a really advanced concept. Right. But they're trying to work together because they don't have tools. Now, the breakdown is they don't have people either. They don't have administrators. Right, right, right So who's right. going to administer this very complex environment, right? And that's where the automation, machine right. learning, common tool sets and things I, I do think come to play. But what the observation I'm seeing is state and local education customers have have fewer resources, whether yes. that's money, human capital, whatever it may be, time. Right. And they tend to be more efficient than the federal government in many ways, which is the greatest integrator on the planet, in my opinion. Right. Right. And and, and I'm seeing the differences where they are they have fewer tools. Well, that's, they it's have kind of better a good capability thing in, in, a way, in many right? cases. Right. Well, they, they, yeah. they're talking, right? So if you're on the other side of the fence and I'm on my side and we've always, you know, I'm endpoint, your network. We've never worked together very well. Well, guess what? If we're both or we don't have the resources or we have to compromise because we can't yeah. buy 50 tools, the odds of you and I working better together or higher. We're and I'm, I'm actually seeing right. that in real life. The yeah. incentivization is there. We're on the federal side. Here's your $3 million budget. Go out and buy a technology X. Who right. cares what it is? I will go do that. And I rarely have an outcome in mind other than I have this budget that I have to spend by the end of the fiscal year. We're going to start this program. You know, maybe we're doing VPN replacement. We're going to wrap right. it in zero trust and we'll go buy a, you know, a, a sassy type of categorized product. Yeah. But why are we doing it? Well, because we have to get off a of VPN because we have too many remote workers, right? But we're really not looking at it many times. And I know I'm stereotyping, I'm generalizing, but my observation is we're not looking at it in the context of the greater picture for the organization, right. the agency, whatever it may be. Right. So state, local, and education are, are, are more effective at that. It's pretty cool. I like that. And have you found- In many any, cases. So there, there was- um, 
there was the $1 billion cybersecurity grant program that was- Oh, uh, the NOFO, announced. the Notice of yes, Funding. Yes, yes. Yes. Targeting these groups. And I'm just curious, have you been come across any folks that have applied for these funds or you know, l- looking to implement them and, and, you know, kind of what's been the thought process if you, if you've had any of those interactions? Uh, so, so a ton. And I think it's a really good program in the, in the, in the, you know, in the way that it's going to put a billion dollars over, I think it's over five years. It's going to put a billion dollars into the state and local organizations. And, mm-hmm. and they have to, the states have to, I think it's 60% has to be given to a local organization. So state, right. local, tribal, territorial. Um, and they had to have their their uh, responses in by November. I forget the exact date. It was November of 22. Mm. So the responses are in for year one. And, and oh, wow. many people were able to do that. And many weren't. I think it's a really good thing in general Mm-hmm. But what we want to see is integrated cyber, in my opinion. We want to see right. them spending the money on things that they need to fill gaps, to right. get the right, you know, to get the right capabilities, whether that's workforce, technology, whatever it may be, not just to spend the money. So I, b- I believe it's five years they get to they get to roll out. I suspect the government will plus that up at some point. Right. Um, there, there was a lot of, of activity around ransomware. Like so, when we when we talk about outcomes, one of the things that I that, that we observe in the business is ransomware is massive. I, I gave you some stats. You've mentioned yes. stats. We've had them on the show. We are seeing an orientation because it is debilitating. If you have a school system that gets hit by ransomware, kids aren't going to school. They aren't learning. Right. Their public, their their private information is released to the public. Now you've got lawsuits. You have you have craziness crazy. happening. And the other thing we see is when a, it, it doesn't just start there, right? So, so the insurance org- company will come in, the law firms come in, you know, the incident responders come in, but you, you're talking about a school board right? in many cases. You're talking about a, a uh, superintendent of mm-hmm. schools. Depending on the size of school, they have somewhere right. from zero to very little experience in cybersecurity. Same thing we're seeing in healthcare, Right. Same thing we're seeing in our state, local, tribal, territorial organizations. We don't have, it's not like CISA is on staff for these individuals. Right. Okay, here's the playbook you're going to run. Here's what you're going to do and everything else, right? So yeah. we do see CISA and, and, and the FBI engaged. We see law enforcement engaged, um, but they tend to be more understanding of what's going on. They will give some guidance, but they're not running the show. Yeah. Where yeah. in the Fed space, you know, we, we see a lot more direct engagement. Mm-hmm. So the billion dollars should be a very, very good thing for these organizations to really put a focus on cybersecurity. Because today, the the, the budgets that they have and, and the capabilities are, are, are not where we need them to be compared to the, the capabilities of the actors. No, not at all. It's, I mean... Very, very underfunded, as we know, with a lot of schools, teachers buying their own supplies and buying supplies for kids. And so you can imagine on the back end what that means for security investments and other things, right? You have to prioritize. Um, and that's it's nice that there's an outlet now to get some funding to help them shore up defenses because it's so critically needed. Who was your favorite yeah. teacher in school? <laughs> 
Who was it? Come on, give me a name. Um, you know, it's actually my journalism teacher, Marjorie okay. Comstock. Yeah, she was awesome. Mr. Com- Miss Comstock. Miss Comstock. Mrs. How yes. would Miss Comstock do running the cybersecurity defensive program for the school system? I, she was really smart. I think she could actually figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> but it would impact her ability to teach you journalism, which oh, is an yeah. industry, which, which is where, you know, that, exactly. that's your, that's your, that's your career. Yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. And, and that's the type of thing that we're seeing. Right. How yes. would she do if the, if the superintendent came and said, Miss Comstock, we have a breach, right? Ransomware. I've heard there's ransomware in the school and I can't get into any of our systems. We can't, all of our systems are locked out right now. We have this, right. this note saying we have to pay 20 Bitcoin or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. What would Miss Comstock do? I mean, that's the reality we face in America yeah. in many of our schools and, and governmental organizations. And that's, that's where I think the NOFO really will help. Will there be waste? Absolutely. Sure. Will there be things that don't happen? Absolutely. But, but you can get things... You can get capabilities such as incident response retainers. Right. Right. You you can get consulting from organizations that tell you where to focus and what your outcomes right. should be. So if you're Miss Comstock and you don't know, you might have the ability to get some guidance and help from the experts across the industry. So it, from that perspective, I think it is a it is a really good thing. Um, but we have a long way to go as an industry. I, I think the industry has to do a lot more. You know, we, we see a lot of opportunity for industry to step up to. Agreed. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of the best practices sharing too. And I can't remember with NOFO, when you do get funds, is there was there a mechanism to kind of share feedback or outcomes as part of that funding that could be shared, you know, kind of to the broader state and local networks? Or am I making that up? And what what do you mean by that? Well, for, I don't know why. For some, I think maybe I was reading an article, and, and maybe one of the hopes was that you know coming out of this as you get funding and start implementing projects, that there's an amazing opportunity to kind of share these learnings, you know, with with other folks in state and local district networks, right? So with they may be looking at trying to get funding in year two, that could help them shape kind of whatever program that they're trying to execute. Because I, I think there are kind of um, annually, right, these kind of uh, national get togethers for these folks where they do kind of share best practices across different you know, so, so there areas. definitely are. There's like EduCause, right, for mm-hmm. the education sector. There there are definitely um, conferences and, and programs where they can share. The, the other thing we've, we've observed, you, you'll see these uh, loose consortiums being set up by mm-hmm. the, the state and local governments. University of Nebraska is, is a great example where you know, the CIO has brought together you know, the, the entire system and other schools to uh, share information, share best practices, work together. Um, they'll, they'll do things like buying volume buys mm-hmm. in order to help the dollar go further. You're, yeah. you're seeing organizations like this, the state of North Dakota has a, uh, I'm trying to think what we call what what they call it. It's it's a joint sock essentially that they're trying mm-hmm. to open up at the state level, so that they can share information across state governments. And there's a lot of you you see these. I'll call them a grassroots effort, but it, but it's really hard to get 50 states together, right? Or or school systems. So 
in these locations, people know each other, they get together. We have a tremendous number of people who are dedicated to this space that have worked there their whole careers. So they know a lot of people. So they work really well together in both official and an unofficial capacity that helps the dollar go further, right. helps their capabilities go further. And it's it's really exciting to watch the way they do some things. I mean, who would think right. that North Dakota would be pulling 12 plus states together in a joint regional sock? So right. when they're seeing a ransomware incident or they're seeing something or somebody else's, they can share that type of information. That's pretty cool to me. That's very cool. Right, I but there, but. President Biden isn't telling them to do that. There's no executive order telling them to do that. You do you, you get, you know, that Congress is going to mandate mandates things like breach reporting and things right. like that. But but really sharing and and helping each other that that's the America I know and love. And we're seeing, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot of that, which is good. Yeah. No, I I agree, and I'm sure a lot of it's out of necessity, right? I mean, if you have to kind of figure it out on your own in a lot of ways then you, you get creative and scrappy and that's where these, these great networks start forming, right? I, I love to see that. Um, you know, you well, do, but Miss Comstock, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she probably steps up and, and works on cybersecurity for the school system because she has maybe an interest. Right. Right? And she cares. She exactly. knows those students. She knows her, her fellow educators. Yeah. She knows the parents. She's been in that community her whole life. And you see this at the state, local, tribal, territorial level, people are directly impacted by what they do and don't do as it relates to cybersecurity. Yeah. It's really rewarding to watch. I mean, this is their home, yeah. right? At the federal government where I've spent a good bit of my career, you, you know, you think about a state, pick your state, you know, wherever, it's, it's one of 50. Right. You have a lot going on. You probably don't even have responsibility for protecting anything at the state local level, right? And you're putting something in place for maybe your agency. Mm -hmm. But these people, this is where they live. Right. Right? They, they exactly. go they go to the mall with these people. They go to dinner with them. So it, it's it's family. It's it's pretty cool to watch the uh, Amer mm -hmm. American ingenuity, I guess I might call it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's I, pretty good. I love the scrappiness and the, you know, the other thing I think a little bit about <clears throat> with this group is, is there an opportunity, and this may be kind of very aspirational, um, for any kind of leapfrogging to happen, you know, in using these funds, you know, meaning, you know, there were, there were a lot of, con you know, countries that were kind of late to, um, you know, integrating, like, let's say, fiber telecom, um, you know, in, you know, years and years late, but when they did, they ended up leapfrogging you know, some other developed nations because they were starting off with the latest and greatest, whereas, you know, those that have had had, you know, the the fiber for a while was like buried, it was old, it was antiquated, you have to dig it up to kind of replace it. Um, is there some kind of opportunity like that here is, or is that just too far-fetched given the starting place? I think so. I hope so, yeah. right? It, it should be an unprecedented opportunity because of the funding that is coming down that they would have never gotten otherwise. Right. To, to say, hey, okay, we have money. What would we do? Right. What are we worried about? What outcome do we want? What are we protecting against? Most of the time, a lot of the time, it's ransomware. Right. How do we do that? Now, I, I think there is a component on industry. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you go to, what is it? Cyberseek.org, I think. Mm -hmm. They do Momentum Cyber. They do the, uh, we can link to it in the show notes, I hope. Yeah. You know, they, they show all the vendors in every given segment, not all of them. They show 
dozens and dozens of vendors in every given segment. Last I saw, there were more than 4,000 companies in cybersecurity. Yes. Right. We as an industry need to see some consolidation, some rationalization. Yes. Because if you're Miss Comstock and you're handed a, a, a bunch of money, right, or, or you're on the yeah. local town council and, and you're the lead, if you will, for protecting the county government or the town government, whatever it may be, from ransomware, where do you start? I can't I mean, even you, imagine. Yeah. You've been in the business a while. We've we've reported on this for years on the this show. Like, where do you go? Which which vendor do you go to? Which consulting firm do you right. go to with your money ready to make a decision? Exactly. Yeah. To make the best decision you can. I, I think the industry really needs to see some consolidation. I think we might see some. I don't know how much with a potential downturn in the economy. I mean, we're already right. we're already seeing it in the stock market, right? Cybersecurity, right. tech stocks, you name it, are coming down. Um, we are we are uh, I'm also seeing in the in the business, companies are exiting due to the strong dollar. They're exiting South and Latin America. They're mm -hmm. exiting markets where the dollar makes them uncompetitive and consolidating their resources. Right. They're they're conserving capital. Mm -hmm. Where a year or two ago, you know, we'd we'd go create a group. Somebody would go create a group and and spin off a new idea and see if it right. worked or not. We're going to see some more rationalization there. But I do think the industry needs to do a better job of of um, providing answers to desired outcomes. Agreed. Because in any category, yeah. you can probably find 10 plus vendors that you could talk to today, right? So so we, we need some kind of platforms and zero trust is good, but it's it's at the same time, it, it's really, I, I don't, it's, it's certainly not defining go do this for the miscom stocks of the world. No. Who just want to protect her students. Exactly. Or they just want to protect the town water supply. Yeah, so it's cool mm -hmm. stuff. But IOT, OT, um, we haven't talked on the, I don't know if you've talked on the show. I may have missed it about, you know, software bill of materials, you know, secure supply chain. We mm -hmm. talked about it yeah. with, with solar winds. Right. Well, I think that might've been two years ago now, right? Secure, secure by design. Yes, yes, yes. Right, so so how do we make these products more secure coming out of the gate? How do we right. how do we help people protect their their varied environments? There's a lot of work to do. No, I, I agreed. It's it's not like a, there's like a, a cyber solution starter kit for ransomware, and you can just go drop it in and and you're good to go. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Dare yeah, we got an idea. I think we've got a million dollar idea. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to monetize idea. that one. <laughs> But, but it is a dual-sided problem. I mean, we have really? customers who don't have the resources to do what they need to do, right? That's, that's the world we live in. Right. And then we have the industry that hasn't done a great job of providing answers to customers. I, I hope that we see a, a drive to more of a, a platform and capabilities-based approach, mm -hmm. right? Where, where there's some standardization so that the miscom stocks of the world, quite frankly, can say, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. Here, here's, these are the five, five tools I need for the exactly. school system. And, and I have a high assurance that we will be protected from the following things. And when the adversary does get through, this is how we're going to handle it. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, it's so when we think about all this, where does, where does the sassy play, do you think, for these people? So I think as we see more 
users go to wherever. Right. We might have called work from home, but really it's work from everywhere, everywhere work from anywhere. Right. We have to secure those connections. Yes. Right. And the old VPN home run back into the business doesn't work. Right. It doesn't scale. It's inefficient. Many people are going to go around it with shadow IT. So as as more and more workloads move to the cloud, I, I'd be I'd be interested to see somebody saying that that will decrease over time in the near term. Right. Maybe in a generation or two, we'll see a new a new model in security. We, we you know, we saw with mainframes and then we went to open right. distributed systems and then we kind of come back a little bit with the cloud, but the cloud's massively distributed. Um, I think that that concepts like SASE are important because you have to have that security. Right. As your users are connecting to Amazon, Microsoft, Google, whatever it may be. And, I, and a lot of times what, what I've observed over my career is we don't have that. Yeah. Right. If they're connecting, they're just connecting. Dropbox, right. boom, connected. Yep. IT doesn't know about it. Miss Comstock has no clue. And you're doing your work from wherever you are. Could be home, could yeah. be Croatia, could be wherever. Exactly. And there's private data there. Yeah. Right? Super critical. Sassy, super critical. What do you think? <clears throat> well, I think anything that can help make it a bit more easier to navigate the security waters, you know, and particularly kind of covering the essential bases, I, I think is important, you know, and, and how do you simplify, but to your point, also find, you know, kind of some semblance of standardization, um, you know, kind of commonality, right? Of You know, we talk a lot about, you know, one agent and one policy to rule them all, all those things. But at the end of the day, like simplifying it and, and make it easier to, to deploy, and manage, I think that's going to help a lot of those smaller companies, right? You know, start getting, you know, kind of a, at least the essentials infrastructure covered. Um, and and that's that seems like there's a huge need out there to, to get that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, you, you need that visibility. Right. The ability to inspect, right? So, so I, I think it's, I mean, we think it's so critical here. And as you, as you drive out zero trust, right? So things like least privileged access, right. continuous trust verification, the continuous inspection, security inspection, protection of all data, which mm -hmm. you and I've talked about, security on the apps, you know, people are going to connect from anywhere, everywhere. You have to have that accessibility from a security perspective on everything they're doing, no matter who they are, no matter where they're connecting from, no matter what they're connecting to and no matter what they're doing, right? You've got to have that visibility, the analysis and the ability yes. to then take corrective action if you're a bad person or you're accessing something you shouldn't or you're trying to do something maliciously or unintentionally. Right. You're trying to do something. You should. The business should know about it. It should be automated. It should lock it down. Now, you mentioned zero trust, which we everybody oh, loves boy. this word. Oh boy, sorry Every about that. <laughs> You know, and it's they go zero, hand in hand, right? Neither trust. one yeah. sassy zero trust. They're not. They're not technologies. They go. They go hand in hand. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, but well, we've heard so much about zero trust, and you know, it, it kind of sounds like this. This save the savior, if you will, of of things. But are people talking enough about maybe you know, kind of the the cons of it, right? We know the pros and and the opportunity it brings in. And kind of implementing, you know, zero trust strategies, but, you know, for smaller organizations that perhaps are, you know, less sophisticated and, 
you know, there there are elements of zero trust that can be a little complicated sometimes, you know, segmenting users and different, you know, accessibility permissions or what have you. Um, I mean, are people talking enough about that? And, and how could of course you know, another organization <laughs> overcome these things? You keep asking me questions where you know the answer. Come on, Rachel. It hasn't been that long. No, I mean, but, but zero trust, if it, if it gets people thinking. Right. Right. If it gets them thinking. So, so one of the things that, that I think we've observed in the industry is from a zero trust perspective, identity. Right. Most people five, 10 years ago, weren't talking about identity, right? You had an, you had an account in the gal somewhere and that was, that was what you had. But now people are really looking at identity. Right. Who are you? And from that, we're then looking at what should you be able to do? What are you trying to do? How, how do you want to right. do it? I, I think there's some components. If, if you ask Ms. Comstock, you know, to come up to speed on zero trust and, and use zero trust principles to, to uh, protect the school system, I think it's going to be really difficult for her. Yes. But in her research, she will learn things such as identity protection, as right. data protection, user protection, application protection. She'll probably learn about the principles. Right. You can you can break it down into other areas like SD-WAN or mm-hmm. zero trust network access. Yeah. And and learn things that may help you understand where to start. And there's no pres- prescriptive manual or or maybe we should say there there too many prescriptive manuals. If you go to NIST or you go to the federal guidelines now, or you go to, you know, CISA and DISA. There's a lot out there, yes. Right, and then you go to industry. (laughs) So maybe there's too much. But I do think there's some opportunity to learn. And if Mm. you can translate that into what your organization or business needs, that's a really good thing. I mean, we're seeing a lot of people look at zero trust network access. Yep. Right? Again, least privileged. Protection of data, security at the right. app level, mm-hmm. inspecting, constant inspection, constant verification, validation that you are who you say you are. That's a huge step beyond, oh, I don't know. That's just a connection to Dropbox that went through the firewall. Right. I don't know. Or did not go through the firewall because I'm working from a laptop from home, right. a work-issued laptop. So just, I think, having these discussions while zero trust isn't something you buy, Right. It is something I think you can buy into and you, we can advance security somewhat. Yeah. No, I, and we're I, seeing I that. like that. Yeah. Because they are, they are critical concepts, right? And, and if you kind of educating yourself, it, it definitely gives you kind of a, a more holistic, you know, thinking of how you need to be tackling the issue. If we went back five years ago, well, let's go 10 years, five, 10 years, right? Before Zero Trust was really big. And I know Dr. Chase Cunningham and his, his peers would say, wait a minute, it's been around since what, 2010? Something 12 like years, that. Yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but we weren't really talking about it at, at scale five no. years ago. No. And no. you wanted to research, what do I do to protect my organization? A lot of it would come down to technologies. Yep. I mean, CASB was just coming out. Mm-hmm. Right, you were looking at AV, you were looking at sandboxing, and and that's the way you would learn. I think zero trust, the concept, has elevated the discussion a bit, 
right. in the right direction, which is a very good thing for the industry. We still Agreed. have too many vendors. We don't have enough good answers. We don't have enough funding. We don't have enough practitioners. Yeah. But we're having a higher level discussion, similar maybe to the board. Right. Right. Five years ago, the board wasn't talking about cybersecurity every meeting. Exactly. They're probably more likely to talk about that right now. Right. So we're seeing a, a, a maturity increase and in maturization in the industry um, at, at multiple levels, which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I know. I always. Right. I mean, always discussion and, and information sharing are critical. Um, you know, I, I want to be mindful of time since you are a guest, but I did have one final question. And it's kind of a big one, though. <clears throat> so, you know, my favorite topic of cyber war as well, um, you know, and as the conflict in Ukraine continues and uh, I think I was reading recently the NATO just ran um, like a cyber exercise. I forgot right. how many participating countries, maybe 45 or I forget how many, um, you know, but they're taking this very seriously. I mean, they're they're seeing this escalating conflict and it's been, you know, what the, the physical and the cyber elements of, you know, quote unquote war happening in Ukraine um, and, and what that spillover could look like. And NATO is trying to get prepared, but also, you know, deciding, you know, when when do you step in? Right. As you know, um, you know, as this becomes more of a reality and, and goes on, I mean, what what does that mean? Right. And in, in terms of, you know, do cyber wars end? Um, and if not, and we're, we're going to be under threat of spillover because maybe you support Ukraine and, you know, the Russian, you know, cyber army is not happy with that uh, and want to execute attacks. I mean, it's it seems like the landscape is changing and, and getting a little more scary even um, with these elements that you just can't control when you have, you know, cyber armies signing up to, to help and, and are sympathetic to a cause. Um, and it can easily escalate to physical attacks, right? A cyber attack could lead to a physical attack. I mean, we're getting in such a scary area here ahead, Eric. I mean, in, in geopolitical tensions. And I mean, how do we manage all of this ahead, I, I guess? I mean, I, I think Ukraine's become this kind of, you know, microcosm of, of probably what's to come, perhaps. I, I that's a, Okay, that's a lot to take in for one question. I'll do my best. <laughs> Luckily, we know each other very well. Uh, I, I would say, one, I think we've seen in Ukraine that kinetic trumps cyber right. yes. pretty much all the time, right? In, yeah. in many ways, right? It's easier to blow up a transfer station than to try to take it offline, especially in a less connected country exactly. or a country where they have the ability to go more physical, um, just more antiquated tools and the like. And, and the Ukrainians are pretty good at defensive cyber operations too. Yes, they are. And and they Very. many times understand the same language, isn't so so kinetic will typically trump cyber, I think. And I think we see a lot of focus on the kinetic. We we've been at we, we this war has been going on for over 10 months now. Yes. 300 and some days. Yes. And I, I think what you see is similar to cyber, you know. You know, if, if you're following it, it's you almost become numb to some level. Um, a couple of observations, yeah. though. You know, I, I was reading something yesterday. There was an S-300 Ukrainian air defense missile that landed in in uh, Belarus, mm -hmm. and there was a big formal protest and up, you know, uprising on that. And and we had we had a, a similar type of activity hit Poland a couple of months ago. I think it was October where there was actually a loss of life. So Ukraine was trying to defend itself from an air attack. Um, and it, it appears, 
from everything I've read publicly available, mm -hmm. it appears that you know a, a missile body landed in Poland and one in Belarus this week, or right. maybe it was last week. And uh, there's a big outcry, but you don't see the same type of outcry when you have cyber spillage like we had Viasat right. at the beginning of the conflict. Right. Right, so there's a numbness there also. And the word, as you were talking about it, the word resiliency kept coming to my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't sure exactly where you were going with the question, but it was like, this is a resiliency question. This is going right. to happen. Right. We've, we've already made it more of a norm than, a, than an anti-aircraft missile landing in a foreign country right. by accident. Cyber spillage, whatever you wanna call it, is, is real. And it's almost accepted at some level. So, so that's where I think resiliency comes into place. We know it's going to happen. Right. We saw the ineffectiveness due to, due to, I think, a lot of coordination issues and some other things in the Ukraine, um, the, the February 24th kickoff. I, I, mm. From what we've seen, very little time to prep the objective right. from a cyber perspective, even though the Russians have been doing it for years. I think what you will see is the adversaries will learn. They will take more time. They will better integrate in the future. It is an right. absolutely real issue that we need right. to contend with. I still see things like weapon systems and and platforms going out with very little to limited considerations around right. cybersecurity. Right? It's something we're going to have to con con just contend with. You right. have to deal with resiliency is the impact, mm -hmm. or, or 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 the component I would focus on. Right? Yeah. If if half your systems come off of offline because of a cyber attack. You know, how do you perform your function, your mission with the other half? Right. Right. If, if, for whatever reason, you know, ships can't launch planes, what right. do we have? How do we plan for that? And the military is really good at that. I think yes. the American population, we spent a lot of time on the show and I know we're wrapping up, right? State, local government, not as well prepared. Right. Federal government outside of the military, not you know, as prepared as we would like. Mm -hmm. The military, better, but not right. as not where they would want to be either. So we have to deal from a resiliency perspective. How do mm -hmm. we continue mission based on some degradation of capability? Right. Because I think it's going to happen. Right. I don't know. You agree? Disagree? No, I, I think, you know, as you're talking, I was thinking about this too. And, and I think we've had, you know, a couple of guests even mentioned this, that I, I guess at the end of the day, is it is it so different than just another cyber attack, right? I mean, you still have to, you know, have security. You still have to defend your organization. You still have to keep critical data in. Um, so it's just standard operating procedure now for your for your business, whether it's spillage out of a Ukraine conflict or or just somebody, you know, like we always like to talk about a 16-year-old in their basement, you know, just surfing for some dollars and trying to find a way in. I mean, either way, you, you still need to secure yourself. You, you do. And I think we, we've seen for decades now vulnerability scanning. Right. From the inside, like where are the where's the vulnerability in software code? Am I patched? Am I whatever? But one of the one of the things we should be focusing on is attack surface management. Mm -hmm. The ability to look from the outside in. What what does my organization look like from an adversarial perspective? You and I have talked about tabletop games, wargaming, yep. right? 
what happens when the adversary gets in? How do we continue mission? I don't think we spend mm-hmm. a lot of time there as, as, as organizations, federal, state, local, commercial, you name it. Yeah. So there are things we could and should be doing because I think it would be, despite what we observed in the Ukraine-Russian conflict, I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find people that would say cyber would not be a part of a future conflict. It has to be. Right. I mean, it, it well, just doesn't have to be, arsenal. but I think it would be. I mean, it those are tools of available. Modern arsenal. Right. Exactly. Right. I, I think a modern arsenal and, and cyber is, you know, a key component of, of kind of the different levers at your disposal if you're trying to, you know, uh, make an impact somewhere. So so I, we, yeah. we could I, I think the debate would be around the 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 level of effort, the, right. the potential impact of cyber activity. Right. You know. Well, and if you can call on cyber armies though, right? I mean, if if you can get enough people on your side to volunteer to help you, I mean, it it seems like there's- Maybe, I remember the show we did, I forget the gentleman's name on the cyber army. It would be very interesting to see how the cyber army is is holding together today and the effectiveness of of the Ukrainian cyber army. Right. Right, what we haven't seen in the conflict is either side really make a lot of progress from a cybersecurity- True. Uh, right. offensive perspective. Right. I do think we'll see that in the next conflicts going forward mm-hmm. between nation states. Right. To what extent? Don't know. But right. why not understand what the adversary can get access to, what they can see? Why not war game some things out and 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 deal from a resiliency perspective? How do we continue keeping right. the lights on or defending this airspace or whatever your task may be mm-hmm. in in a contested, cyber contested environment. Like those are things I think we could do very effectively and we just don't spend enough time there. Dmitry Alperovich going back to winter, I think 2020, you know, we don't hunt enough. Why aren't we doing more hunting on our networks Mm -hmm. for cyber activity? I gave you the stat, we're seeing 28 days dwell time, median dwell time. Yeah. I don't know. If you hunt more, would you have found that in 11 days? And, and would that have made the difference? Right. I honestly couldn't tell you in, in, in any specific or even generalized cases. But my gut says, the sooner I can get somebody out of my house, the less they can take, steal, or damage. Agreed. Yeah. So I th- I'm not sure if I answered your question, but resiliency. That's the well, word I'd end on. I mean, it's a kind of a question and a comment and an observation all rolled into one. Um, I think there are definite long-term implications there that we just don't know what those are. Um, and, and in some ways though, the heightened awareness of this, you know, may get, you know, more organizations, you know, kind of accelerating their security transformations and, and trying to get their house in order, uh, you know, hope in the so. near term versus, you know, just I'll wait and see and hope they don't find me, uh, approach. So it's, I think, I think ransomware yeah. has been more effective at it. Yeah. That's you know, a good point. as yeah. we as we create awareness, whatever that may be, right? You know, your your local school system next county over had a ransomware attack that debilitated them, or Colonial Pipeline, or you were in a board meeting, whatever it may be. I, I think awareness. We we've come a long way as an industry, both the customer side and the vendor side, from right. an awareness compared to where we were. Now the costs have gone way up, right? So that makes sense to me. 
But I do think awareness is a big one, and then and and then resiliency. This is right. here to stay. I, there's no really is. there's no silver yeah. bullet, and criminal activity <laughs> will I will always will always be there. <laughs> That's right, because crime pays. Eric, apparently. $3.5 trillion in losses. I think that's a pretty good payout. That's not too bad. And it's easy and it's low risk. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And if you're a nation state and and before you you launch kinetic capabilities, you spend a couple of weeks prepping the objective. What's what's the real cost? Right. Right. You get dragged into the UN and told this is bad behavior. We need you to stop. I mean- Honestly, if you're intent on invading a country, I think the cost, the risk is relatively low. It is. You're probably not going to jail. Yeah. So a so, lot of incentive, yeah. not a lot of risk. It creates a lot of, unfortunately, <laughs> it's a lot of opportunity for the industry and, and a lot of vulnerability for the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Resiliency. Resiliency and awareness. All Rachel, right. I know we're at the end of our time, but it is always Awesome. I know. Talking to you and I do miss I'm you. So in glad the show. you made it. Same, same. I, I hope you come back. I, I know you're busy over there at Palo Alto, but I do hope we can get you back from time to time because it's. I miss nice the show. However, I can help. I would. I would love that. Petco would love that, uh, and I think our audience would also love that. So let's let's definitely do that. Get you back in a bit. Well, here's hoping to a great 2023 and a better than uh, 2022 was. Hopefully we make some good progress against the adversary. I feel like we've said that every year, like the last three years. Yeah, we do. We, we, uh, who who is it? Bruce Schneier. I've I've quoted him frequently. We're getting better, but we're getting worse faster. (laughs) All opportunity though, right? There's all, it's just creates more opportunity. It for, does. For all the things. <laughs> okay, so to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And thank you again, Eric, for, for joining us and, and coming back for a visit. And what do we like to say, Eric? As you remember, we like people to smash the subscribe button. Even though I'm yes. not looking at the data stat and the stats anymore. <laughs> subscribe, leave comments, please. Yes, comments. We love commentary, we love feedback. Um, Eric, Petco, and I, all of us. So please don't be shy. So until next time, friends, everybody be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 